0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: We are having a hard time keeping up with all of the news of this week on Today in Ohio, where we discuss news and have analysis. Too many things happening with the election and the abortion ruling and a whole bunch of local stories. We'll get at it now. It is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer I'm Chris Quinn here with my dear colleagues, Laura Johnston, Leila Tassi, and Lisa Garvin, and they are all ready to go. Let's go. How quickly would Ohio severely restrict abortions if the Supreme Court abolishes the right to it by overturning Roe v. Wade? Laura, this was the bombshell of the week, the leak of the really dramatic opinion that would radically shift America in one fell swoop and Ohio would follow in suit.
0: Absolutely, I have a feeling we are going to be talking about abortion a lot over the next couple of months. And if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, Attorney General Dave Yost is probably going to ask a federal judge to stop blocking the state law that effectively bans abortions as early as six weeks into a pregnancy. That's because it's based on a fetal heartbeat being detected and that can happen really quickly I'd like to point out that you really can't know that you're pregnant until two weeks into your pregnancy, so that's not giving people very much time. And the DeWines also indicated that if there were legislation to ban all abortions in Ohio, he would sign such a law. So I think Ohio would very swiftly go the way of banning abortions.
1: What's amazing about this is that the majority of people are dead set against it. So a small group of people that have taken power in state houses across the country and the stacking of the Supreme Court by Donald Trump is going to thwart the will of America to enforce the will of a smaller group of people. It's kind of unusual. People are looking at this opinion and and in the opinion they they talk about how they've reversed uh, major decisions in the past like Plessy versus Ferguson but you got to point out that in every reversal, they expanded the rights of Americans. This is a reversal that will restrict the rights of Americans, and Mike DeWine is right in line to to follow it. I just wonder how much this will affect his reelection bid. He's. Well- Running against a woman,
0: right? I mean, and he has always been staunchly against abortion. And I mean, he's he's very Catholic. He's seventy-five years old, and he this has been his platform for a long time. He's facing Democratic nominee Nan Whaley, the former uh, Dayton mayor, first woman ever to win a major party nomination for Ohio governor. She's a consistent supporter of abortion rights, and she's been talking about it since way before this ruling. She made it abortion rights an issue in the primary race against John Cranley. And she, she said she thought it was a really personal issue for as a woman that was enduring a debate in April. And she said, we know Roe is going to fail. We know that's going to happen. And we need someone that's going to be unequivocal in the governor's seat to protect it. So I do believe this is going to be a really driving issue in the governor's race. And I'd like to point out here that this is what happens with redistricting, right? You can have a, a, a state that's not super Republican, but if I mean, it's majority Republican, but you have a veto-proof majority of Republicans. They're going to pass these kind of laws. And so all the people who haven't been paying attention to redistricting, this is why it matters. Well, and it's not
1: representative government. This is not what the people want. It's clear this is not what the people want. But this effort to take control of women's bodies looks like it's going to be successful, something that none of us would have thought possible even 10 years ago.
0: Uh, Even a year ago, I don't think I would have put this here. But you're right. I feel like you get a veto-proof majority for long enough, you lose, essentially, democracy. You know,
2: I just want to jump in that remember when Donald Trump... Remember election night 2016 when we were all just aghast at what was happening? And I remember, Chris, that you were saying how well, how much damage could one
3: president (laughs) do
2: in four years? Like he'll get one term and it's just four years and then we'll be on with our. Well, it's it's the Supreme Court and and three justices later, it's it's uh, irreparable harm. That will outlive him. I mean, how much longer does Trump himself have to live? But that Supreme Court will change our lives forever. (laughs) It wasn't just Trump,
1: though. Mitch McConnell has a huge responsibility there. He blocked the Obama nomination, and then he rigged it to quickly... uh, Put in Amy Coney Barrett at the end of Trump's term, so he he blocked the the Obama nomination with about a year to go in Obama's term, right. but he rushed in the Ruth Ginsburg again replacement.
0: super majority I mean, mm. problems with super majorities.
1: I would blame McConnell uh, more than Trump for this. He really mm. played sleazy politics, and we're all the ones suffering for it. So,
3: and, and meanwhile, good point, people-
1: Layla. The damage is much greater than I think anybody could have foreseen, and we're we're going to be dealing with it a long time. It's today. In Ohio, why have Bob Cupp and Matt Huffman, the two most responsible for the state's failure to draw, to draw constitutional legislative maps, suddenly withdrawn from the entire process with just weeks to go before it's over? Lisa.
3: I don't think we can know why. I think we can make guesses. Uh, they certainly didn't say why they were not attending these meetings, but House Speaker Bob Cup did not attend yesterday's redistricting commission meeting. He sent a Republican or rather well, Republican Representative Jeff Luray of Fairfield County instead. And he published a notice that offered no reason for his absence from this meeting. But this follows Matt Huffman doing the same thing earlier this week. He opted not to attend yesterday's meeting and sent uh, Senator Rob McCauley in his stead. And tomorrow is the deadline for state legislative maps per the ruling back in April 14th by the Ohio Supreme Court. So I think that Huffman and Cupp are signaling that they got the maps that they want, and they think they're going to get the maps that they want from the three-judge federal panel. So why should they bother to go to the commissioning meeting? That's my reading on it.
1: Yeah, our team was was talking about this yesterday, and the feeling that came across is that this is now beneath them. Yeah, They're, they're, right. they're not going to sully their hands anymore with this process. This should be for others to do. It is a, a, a standoff between the redistricting commission in the Ohio Supreme Court. I mean, this really is going to say that the Supreme, if the Supreme Court doesn't do anything about this, if there's no way to enforce what they've ordered and we just get to the, to the end of the month and they, they put in the constitutional maps, it's going to say that the Supreme Court doesn't have the power that it thinks it does. Uh, Kopp and Huffman are clearly just washing their hands of it and waiting to, to see what happens.
3: Yeah, I think this federal three-judge panel, I think they're looking for a ruling from there. The federal judge panel doesn't really want to rule. They keep trying to get the Supreme Court in Ohio to do something, but they say that they will force use of the third set of maps rejected back in February as an illegal gerrymander. If the May 28th deadline is not met, then we'll get the, that third set of maps.
1: The the sad thing is, is with Kopp and Huffman ducking, even if the commission was found in contempt, they'd be outside of that now. Their, the, their stand-ins would be the ones that are held in contempt. The, like you said, tomorrow's the deadline. Probably early next week, the Supreme Court will show its hand. Uh, but it does seem more and more like the, the intransigence of the Republicans. Their, their desperate effort to maintain disproportionate power will work. And the other thing is, almost no one's paying attention. I mean, you could tell by the turnout on the vote on Tuesday, almost nobody's paying attention. And so mm-hmm. the bad guys are getting away with it. There's a lot of frustration by the people who are paying attention. They keep yelling at me, sending me emails, saying, <laughs> you need to do more. You need to do more. And it's like nobody's done more than we have to point this stuff out. It's just nobody's paying attention right.
0: right. And if you care about the big issues, you need to care about redistricting. like, period. Yeah.
1: Yeah, what do you do to to get people to care?
0: Well, I, do, I don't know. I, f- I feel like we should put out a, like a headline that's like, think the government is messed up. This is why.
3: Well, I do want to point out, though, that auditor, state auditor Keith Faber, who is on the commission and a Republican, he did introduce a new set of maps yesterday. That would be the fifth set of maps. But we know nothing about those maps at these at this point.
1: <laughs> right. We know nothing about any of it. OK, it's today in Ohio. Why has Cuyahoga County Executive Armand Budish charged the county council with retaliation against him? And how is the council reacting to that? Layla, this has just become a circus in county government.
2: (laughs) So previously on As the World Turns in Cuyahoga County, (laughs) this is just such a drama. County council had asked the newly appointed Inspector General Alexa Beeler to investigate whether Budish had lied to them when he told them that there were no conflicts with his appointment of Dave Wondolowski, the labor leader, to the Port Authority Board. And we later learned that the Port Board's bylaws said his appointment was incompatible with him also holding his seat on the Board of Elections. And county council believed Budish knew all of that when he first recommended Wondolowski. So after investigating this matter for a couple weeks, Beeler said this week that there that there is no way to determine whether Budish intentionally tried to deceive counsel. So, blah blah blah. But the juicy part of the story is that not long after Beeler issued that determination, Budish's spokeswoman put out a statement accusing Council President Purnell Jones of only requesting that investigation because Budish refused to withdraw that nomination of Wondolowski. And the statement also said that the report completely exonerates Boothish, which is not quite what it says. And the statement says, quote, It's apparent that Council President Purnell Jones did not want Mr. Wondolowski to be nominated. The executive's refusal to withdraw the nomination apparently angered President Jones, and Jones retaliated by asking the inspector general to begin an investigation. So... There's more to this. Do you want to know yeah, what well, happened?
1: I, I got to tell you, I was, I was surprised that Budish took that tack because he, he nominated Wondolowski. It's been hugely controversial, in part because Wondolowski was tagged to that campaign against Justin Bibb that many right. have said is, is racist. So, So he puts his name in to thumb his nose at everybody. But if he really wants him confirmed by the county council, why would you attack the county council? It's almost like he's intentionally trying to make them angry so they reject him, and then the whole Wandelaski thing ends, and he goes to Wandelaski and says, "Well, Dave, I tried, but you know they rejected you." It just doesn't seem like a smart political move. And you know, let's face it, that's all Armin Budish does is play political moves. He knows better. How did the county council respond?
2: Oh man. So late yesterday afternoon, Council President Purnell Jones responds with his own statement, denying the retaliation claim and saying that Budish was wrong to accuse him and Council of that. But then there's this mic drop moment in the statement where he points out that actually it's Budish who has the history of retaliation. He says, quote, let's not forget, This is the same county executive who drafted a retaliation plot to seek revenge against counsel for perceived political slights. Unlike his draft revenge plan, seeking an opinion from the county's inspector general regarding an issue of ethics is not retaliation, but an obligation for this council. County residents deserve better from their executive. Of course, you know, Jones is talking about Cleveland.com's reporting that showed that Budish wrote out this revenge plan against county council after former president Dan Brady spoke critically of of, of uh, Buddhisha's administration, and that plan showed that he had intended to cut funding, and that was going to affect services in in the districts of council members that he thought were an, were, were ta- antagonistic to his administration. Well, it
1: was beyond that. They weren't going to fix bridges or pave roads. He was going to make things more dangerous for people that lived in county council. It was a a staggering story. I think the most eye-opening story we ever printed. And remember, he didn't just write it out. He had a staff meeting to talk about implementing it.
2: Oof, oof. So, so yeah, so this was a, a very, this twist of the knife was... Was perfect. I mean, I thought Pernell Jones played this one very well. Yeah, I mean he did. I mean, he he seized upon Budish's use of the word retaliation and was like, "Oh, that rings a bell. Let <laughs> let's talk about yeah. retaliation, Armin Budish." I mean, he basically says counsel's request for this inv- investigation was just good government. You should try it, Armin Budish. And, and you know, he he suggests that despite the inspector general's inconclusive investigation, Jones himself has already decided that. Budish was deceptive to counsel and that there are trust issues moving forward. So I don't see this relationship getting better until Budish leaves
1: he wrote a letter that said he has no conflicts. Well, he does have a conflict. So the yeah. council is right to be to have its backup to say whoa 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 what are you telling us? And and for Bo- I mean for Budish, with that revenge plan in his background to <laughs> accuse anybody of a revenge plan is just loony because it's going to blow up in his face. That was I really think the most illuminating story about the mind of Armin Budish and how he works. It's all about the politics it's not about the service to the residents which is what you're supposed to do in that job anyway good drama it's today in Ohio the drama though is not restricted to Cuyahoga County Laura what is going on in Lake County where the judges have prohibited the elected clerk of the courts from entering the courthouse to do her job for almost the entire work week
0: yeah, this seems banana, and it's not just the work week, like we're talking a month. They want to let her into the building once a month and have surveillance cameras while she's there, as well as a sheriff's deputy, because they are so concerned about the way she's been running the office and treating her employees. So this is Faith Andrews. She, um, she was elected to the clerk position in November 2020, and basically the discord started there. She stated in a March email to judges that... Um, That she would comply with this order but then she ended up suing them in supreme court and she's saying they're not letting her do her job that the allegations are false and defamatory that she's so you know malicious with her employees and she um the judges are saying hey she's on the direction of the common police court she has to do what we say so it's um it's got interesting backstory and i would not want to be working in this courthouse it sounds pretty awful
1: but you can't prohibit the clerk of courts from coming into the court. She's elected. If she were she is, hired elected, yeah. by the judges, it would be one thing. but she's a charter officer a constitutional officer. So you how did, I mean it just it seems like they're playing really petty politics, but but kind of putting the thumb down a little too hard. How is that right? Where, so how does it get resolved?
0: Well, the Supreme Court, I guess, gets to decide what happens here. But the really galling thing for taxpayers of Lake County is that the uh, Lake County prosecutor, legally the civil, civil attorney for all county officials, has recused himself because, I mean, hello, conflict of interest. So the county is paying attorneys for both sides more than at 400 or more dollars an hour to fight this, which well. is just mind boggling.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure the Supreme Court mean anything. Why would anybody in Lake County listen to what the Supreme Court says? Nobody in the legislature is. So,
0: <laughs> well, that's know. very true. And I mean, obviously, they could vote her out of office, but that wouldn't happen until 2024. And the way that the com- the judges say it is that she's like terrorizing employees, and they're afraid that they're going to quit because it's such an awful place to work. But I mean, that's their prerogative, too. So, yeah, it seems very messy. Okay.
1: It's today in Ohio. Why does Jim Oberkfell, the Ohio resident who was the lead plaintiff in the case that affirmed a right to gay marriage in America, worry about the draft of the Supreme Court opinion that leaked this week and would overturn Roe v. Wade? Lisa, he spoke up almost immediately after the leak happened.
3: Yes, he did, and along with a rising tide of people who were worried about other Supreme Court rulings that may fall in the in the wake of Roe v. Wade. But Jim Obergfell, he's from Sandusky. He's actually a candidate in the what will probably be the 89th Ohio House District, which will appear on the ballot in August or whenever. But uh, Obergfell, he was the plaintiff in the landmark 2015 case that legalized same-sex marriage. Obergfell versus Hodges, the case, was mentioned twice. And Justice Samolito's draft opinion that was leaked a few days ago on Roe v. Wade. Um, it said that uh, Obergfell versus Hodges is one of two examples of Supreme Court decisions that relied on legal precedents set by Roe v. Wade earlier. Also by Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. They all used similar arguments. Also, there was a solicitor general argument in uh, a Mississippi lawsuit brief, which is the Mississippi lawsuit is what's you know uh encouraging this or spurring this um they're saying that roe and casey can't be the solicitor general says that roe and casey cannot be overturned because obergville had due process rights inherent in individual autonomy and that marriage decisions are the most intimate decisions that people can make and they said that these concepts arose in casey and roe
1: well, the ruling does, if this were to, it's a draft, and it, it will get changed before it's final, probably. But if that logic is used to overturn Roe v. Wade, the, the, it does set the stage to overturn all of the rulings the conservatives on the court have disagreed with. So you would very likely lose the right to gay marriage. Rules about contraception would be able to be put into place. I mean, this is, this is a frightening set of logic that they're using because it will deprive Americans of rights they now take for granted, and that's what Mr. Obergfell was talking about.
3: Right, and there was there was a, a, a line in Alito's draft opinion that said that he, he is assured that whatever happens with Roe v. Wade will not affect non-abortion legal presidents, but Obergfell says he's not buying it. He says they shouldn't be overturning decades of established law, and he feels that some people on the Supreme Court are eager to tackle yes. marriage next.
1: Well, nobody's going to trust the justices because when the three were getting confirmed, all of them said Roe v. Wade is established law. Yes. That, that, that I mean, they, they told members of Congress that that that's not their plan, and they lied because as soon as they got their hands on a case, they're not just overturning it; they're putting in logic that would would over could be used to overturn everything. Um, very scary moment. It's today in Ohio. How have tempers boiled over on the committee that is choosing the site for a Cuyahoga County jail with the county councilman and the county prosecutor mixing it up? Layla, you're just going to continue to talk about county drama today. I
2: know Caitlin Durbin has been so busy this week with so much infighting and turmoil at the county. Yeah, the tempers have been flaring on the, the on the Justice Center Executive Steering Committee. That's the the 12-member group that's been struggling to make decisions about whether to build a new jail and where to put it. The county County Councilman Michael Gallagher is council's representative on that committee, and and he's probably the most fervent proponent of moving full throttle toward building as soon as possible on that recently identified brownfield site near Tremont. Shovels in the ground this year. Time is money. Let's get her done. (laughs) And he is getting very frustrated with his fellow committee members who, in his view, are dragging their feet a few weeks ago, the group, you know, voted to slow their role and reconsider some options, including, you know, reevaluating the possibility of renovating the existing jail. And he just hates all of this. So Gallagher is particularly frustrated with prosecutor Mike O'Malley, who has publicly expressed concerns about how quickly the committee was plowing ahead with the site selection and also without much consideration about what's going to come of the rest of the kind of decrepit Justice Center campus where the prosecutor's office and courtrooms and other are located. So bad blood between these two have been brewing. So at council's uh, public safety and justice affairs committee meeting on Tuesday, Gallagher really, really took aim at O'Malley, who wasn't there, I should say, to hear it or defend himself. And he said O'Malley's office was warning county staff to quote, tread lightly or even skew information about current conditions in the jail to avoid putting the county at further risk of lawsuits. And he compared the situation to the circumstances that led former jail administrator Ken Mills to prison, After the inmate deaths that began in 2018, Gallagher said, quote, we're going to tell the public what's going on and the truth will shine through. Talk to Ken Mills about that. You saw what happened there. I've got a bad sense that's the road we're going down again, and I personally don't want to be part of that anymore. O'Malley, you know, he was pretty upset about that when Caitlin asked him about it later. And he said, frankly, those comments could be viewed as slander. So things were really hitting that fever pitch as the day went on.
1: Well, uh, look, O'Malley's office is the one defending against the lawsuits, and so they're always going that's to be true. worried about anything said publicly boosting the millions of dollars taxpayers are going to fork over because Armin Budish could not run the jail. But but that's, that's different than saying don't tell the truth. I mean, right. if they're saying and, and to they people said. You're in right. a public in public comments be careful you're you're costing taxpayers money in executive session talk away what what really is strange to me about this is I, Jeff Applebaum is the contractor behind the jail, and he is rushing this project because he wants to get paid. The next county executive in January, Chris Ronayne or Lee Weingart, is very likely to have a different review of this and a different approach and slow it down. If if Jeff Applebaum can get shovels in the ground, it's worth a lot of money to his company and to him. I do, so, so I get that. But the committee... All got together after we reported about the toxicity of the site they were aiming on. They all got together. They voted unanimously. Gallagher missed the meeting to put the brakes on, do the testing, make sure they know what's there, then come back together and decide what to do. Right. That's likely to stop shovels going into the ground this year and thwart Applebaum's plan. What I don't get is Gallagher. He, he's not got any reason to profit from the rush why is he so dead set on just throwing caution to the wind and saying, "Let's build on a toxic site without knowing what's there? I, I there's it just it defies logic that he would get all haughty in this meeting. what What's the game? I like, don't have time. an answer.
2: I don't know. You know. You're totally right. I don't know. And right. You know, and, and the rest of this meeting uh, yesterday was about how much money needs to be spent in the short term at the jail. Some, you know, and, and some were trying to use that as an argument for why they should just move forward with building the new facility, but they would still have to spend that money on maintaining the existing jail while building new. You know, you still have inmates that need to be safely housed. <laughs> you know, you don't you don't stop maintaining the building just because you're pouring money into a new structure, so... That argument is moot as well you can't just pull the wool over everyone's eyes like that so they're, i don't they're understand doing the, the right yeah. thing
1: they're, you know they're they're doing the right thing they, they, they let's take a breath let's make sure we'll move quickly but let's make sure we're not going to put all these inmates on a toxic site it's it everybody agreed to it you know you got blaine griffin on this committee and the public defender and the sheriff there's a whole bunch of people on this committee that all agreed to this and Gallagher seems like he's trying to steamroll it. There's also word that he might try to get council to ignore this committee and just move ahead, which they have the power to do. I can't imagine his fellow council members would do that. That would be such a blemish on their careers if they just throw caution in the wind and say, yeah, we don't know what's there. Let's put the jail there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so, don't know what, what the true motivation is there. I don't I have no idea. Um, and, and, and it is strange that there's this, uh, this blood, bad blood boiling between O'Malley and Gallagher, because as O'Malley pointed out, you know, he, he, he pointed out that 11 of the 12 steering committee members, you know, the 12th being Gallagher, who wasn't there for the vote, (laughs) 11 of them. So nearly unanimous, you know, they, they all voted to, to, to slow the roll here and, uh. And take their time with this and, and make sure that they're being prudent. So why why is O'Malley being singled out well, as the, the mean, committee member who's who's uh, dragging their feet?
1: <laughs> he has, that. I think, been the most vocal leader of the charge. He has, I think, been pushing. And we've talked before. Part of his motive was before you spend all this money on a jail, I want to make sure there's money available to fix the courthouse. I mean, what yes, incensed that's true. Him was that they're going to spend forty-six million dollars on the medical mart? And he's like, "Come on, you haven't spent a dime on the courthouse in fifty years, and you're going to spend money on that loser." Um, so he he got very I mean, vocal.
2: That is a separate. That's a separate argument. That's a valid argument. But you know. yeah,
1: but but the committee. But, but put all that aside. The committee considered the facts considered the dangers to both the inmates and the guards that might be on that toxic site and said, let's find out what's there. I mean, that's the right thing to do by any stretch. And Gallagher's going, no, 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 let's rush it. Very strange. It's today in Ohio. We have more Ohioans, Northeast Ohioans charged in the January 6th insurrection in Washington. You know, the one where the president was trying to overthrow our own government. Who are they? What are they accused of, Lisa?
3: 55-year-old Kimberly Kimberly Wargo of North Olmstead and her 26-year-old son Colton Wargo of Westlake were charged in federal court with disorderly conduct, violent entry, and knowingly entering a restricted building. A third person, a 20-year-old Justin M. Smith of Brunswick, faces similar charges. Uh, the mother and son, the Wargos are free on $25,000 bonds. Smith is free on a $20,000 bond, and their cases are transferred to the D.C. Federal District. District Court, where where it will be heard, um, the Wargos did admit entering the Capitol during the riots, and they were spotted on surveillance video entering the Capitol about 2:20 p.m. and they stayed about 30 minutes. Uh, as as far as Smith goes, a confidential informant who doesn't know Smith sent Facebook screenshots of Smith wearing the same clothes as he was wearing on the during the Capitol riot, and witnesses told the FBI that he bragged about participating and showed off photos that he took inside of the Capitol. So. There we go. Northeast Ohioans on the walk of shame.
1: What this is evidence of is that they're continuing to investigate. I mean, I I would have thought that they would have pretty much identified everybody Mm. that you can identify but these are new charges uh, you know a long time later i i wonder how many more additional charges were have i mean we had northeast ohio had its share wasn't uh, laura you might remember what what's community sent a bus down there was it strongsville independence one of the one of the mayors was helping to organize something to send people to that thing so ohio had its presence
0: I don't remember, but Strongsville would make sense, but I'll, I'll have to look that up. Can you imagine
2: yes. doing something like this with one of your kids? Like right. They probably thought this was like the ultimate family bonding experience. They did. They got <laughs> into a car. They said
3: they were going to the Save America rally
2: oh, together. they're going to so, Save America, family. Yeah. I'm always looking for good things to do with my kids on <laughs> <laughs>
1: the we'll put it in, in the clee right yeah, it the things the, to do this weekend go and try to overthrow the country go
2: overthrow the government
0: yeah. it was illyria and she was an ohio board of education member oh, Kristen, okay first in Thank Hill. You.
1: yeah I, it, so we had our we had a role we we you know i don't think we're overrun with trump supporters in our greater cleveland part of the the state, but there are some. And Strongsville is a bastion of it. Strongsville be the one community where J.D. Vance does quite well in Cuyahoga County. It's today in Ohio. All right, we didn't get to everything. We didn't come close to getting to everything. Maybe we'll get to it tomorrow. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you to everybody who listens to this podcast.